Luke chapter number 15. I'm going to start reading at verse number 11. Very familiar passage of scripture, and I'll just warn you, I'm not going to be super deep or profound today, but sometimes what, what saves people is not what impresses people. Amen. Sometimes we just need the word of God to speak to our life. Luke 15, 11, Jesus telling the parable said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Somebody say a far country. Very far from home. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so the story turns that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And yet no one gave him anything. But listen to this in verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I'm just going to stop reading right there. What? What an incredible story. That story is your story and it's my story. Because somewhere along the way, we are all the prodigal son. Today, I want to preach to you from this subject, how to come back home. I just believe somebody needs to hear. Maybe you're watching online, but you need to know how to come back home. Can we just pray? Lord, right now. We ask your presence to fill this room, God. I pray that you would minister to somebody. God, that you would reach somebody right where they're at today. No matter how bad it is, God, that you would cut through the muck and the mire that they're living in. And that you would speak to someone's heart and redeem a sinner from being lost in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And you may be seated. It's in the iconic ending of The Wizard of Oz. The classic movie closes with a, a scene where Dorothy has defeated the wicked witch of the West. You know it, ding dong, the witch is dead. And now all Dorothy really wants to do is go back home. And so the scene happens that the good witch, which there's no such thing, the devil is a lie, <laughs> tells her, to click her heels together and close her eyes and repeat this mantra, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. How many of you remember the scene? Some of you are seeing it in your head right now. She's clicking her heels. There's no place like home. Anybody ever tried that when you wanted to get back home? You just want to go home? 
It's no place like home. And before you know it, Dorothy wakes back up in Kansas as if she had never left in the first place. That iconic moment in a children's movie strikes at a reality that is deep within each of us. There really is something special about home. We spend the first few decades of our life there. And somehow those years, those days spent will impact us the rest of our life. Anybody ever notice this? Anybody ever wish you could go back home? Some of you still can. Mom and dad still live where they used to live and, and, and people haven't moved on and life hasn't changed. But, but there are others of us that, that home is just not there anymore. There's something about home. Perhaps you two have felt the longing for home, the desire to go back home. But the family has moved on and perhaps loved ones have been lost or maybe time and distance has severed and separated and broken relationships. But there is still something about home. Somebody say home. Every year when we go back to San Antonio where I grew up, invariably I'll gather my kids in the car and we'll drive back to the old neighborhood, La Ventana, and we'll turn down that old road mule tree that I grew up on. And I'll drive the kids by. How many of you ever done this? When you go back home, you drive by the house where you grew up. And you tell your kids, you see that tree? That's the tree that I fell out of about every day of my life. You see, you see that roof? That's the roof where I hid on the crest of the roof and played sniper with my BB gun at passing cars. Not recommended, children. See that house? That, that's where I grew up. That is home. It's home. Every, every time we go back to San Antonio, I was telling my brother what I was preaching yesterday. He, he still lives in the city. And he says every once in a while, he lives about 30, 40 minutes from there, he'll take the drive and just go back one more time to go back by home. Anybody ever done that? Wave your hand at me. It's home. There's something. There's no place like home. I remember my dad driving me around South Monroe and pointing out the house where he grew up and where they used to live and the old church where this church came from. And, 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 and everybody I talk to has this infatuation with this place called home because it, it forms us, it shapes us, it's a place of safety, it's a place of security. Sometimes when you're having a bad day, you just want to go back home to mama's house and sit on the couch and drink coffee again and, and chat and play games again and whatever your family tradition was, there's just something about home. But time and distance and circumstances have a way of tearing things out of our hands. Life often carries us far away from home. And, and it isn't just a place that we leave behind though. It's the closeness of relationships. I remember pulling out of the driveway on my way to Bible college several states away. And my mom standing in the driveway waving with tears rolling down her face. And at the time I thought, man, mom is emotional dramatic I'll be back in a few months but what she understood is it'll never really be the same from this point on and that's what life does is it carries us far from home 
We lose the closeness of relationships, the safety of family, the security of a place where you are loved and nurtured. And mom, mom would make me grilled cheese at request when I lived at home. The family would sit and talk for hours when I was at home. But the structure still stands today. But the relationships have changed in time and distance has caused things to be different. It's really not home anymore. Sometimes you just want to go back home. Time steals this away. In 2 Kings 8, almost a year ago today, I preached about the woman whose son Elisha healed when she said, it is well with my soul. And Elisha tells her, he says, that a famine is coming to the land and I want you to leave home. So she gathers everything up, up and he says, go anywhere, but don't, go, don't stay here. And she takes her family away. And after seven years, she comes back home. The prophet speaks again and says, it's time to go home. And so she comes back home and she finds that other people are living there. And so she has to go back to the king in order to regain and retain her home. And the message, it's funny that I preached it almost a year ago today, is that if you want to get back what you lost, you've got to go back to what you left. And this woman realized that that if life was going to be like she wanted it to be, she had to go back home. Somebody say home. And that is the story of the prodigal son. He's far from home. Luke 15 has an interesting context. Luke 15 is is set in an argument because the Pharisees don't like that Jesus is fellowshipping with sinners and publicans. They, they don't like the crowd that he's hanging out with. They, they don't approve this religious cast of leaders in Israel are looking at Jesus. And he spends all of his time with people who are not measuring up to God's standard. And so the Pharisees criticize him that he has spent his time with sinners. And Jesus launches into perhaps one of the greatest chapters of Scripture on what God is interested in. Because he breaks into the parable of the lost sheep. And he tells them that even a shepherd, even though he has 99 sheep, when one of them gets lost, he leaves the 99. And he goes and he finds the one sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he puts it on his shoulders. And he carries it back home. And when he gets home, what does he do? He gathers all of his friends and his family and they celebrate over the one that was lost that's come back home. And then he tells the story of the lost coin, the parable of the woman who sweeps the whole house because she has... Ten gold coins, but she's lost one of them. And she's not satisfied with the nine that she still has. She's interested in the one that is lost. And so she sweeps the whole house in order to find that one coin. And when she finds the lost coin, she gets her friends and her family together. And they celebrate because she's found the one that was lost. And Jesus is is defending his lifestyle of ministry among the sinners. And and he's talking to the Pharisees who are well-educated and very religious about what God is interested in. He's interested in finding the one that is lost, even if there are 99 who are found. That's what God cares about. And he transitions into the parable of the prodigal son. 
And through this parable, we get to peek in on what the love of God looks like for those who have drifted far from home. There is a man that has two sons, and the younger son, all he sees in life is what he can gain from the father, what he can get from the father, the blessings of the father. And he says, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And so the father does it. He gives him his inheritance early. And for a few days, he's able to deal with that. For a few days, he sticks around, but soon the Bible says he takes a journey into a far country and things begin to change because the context of home is not there anymore. The fatherly advice and wisdom and direction isn't there anymore. And the further he gets from the father, the further he gets from the father's lifestyle, from the father's teaching and from the father's heart. And the Bible says there, in that faraway place, he wastes his days. He gathers all he has, goes and journeys into a far country. And the ESV says it this way, he squanders his property in reckless living. He's spending without regard. He is partying. He's living a lifestyle of sin. And he's giving himself everything that he wants. He's living according to his plan. He is self-actualizing, self-sufficient, a man of means. And he ends up far from home, alienated from his father, separated by time and distance. He left home looking for freedom, but he found failure. He was looking for independence, but he found bondage. He was looking for friends and connections, but he ends up alone. He left home intending to enjoy life to eat the best food, but he ends up hungry in a pig pen. Because listen, sin will carry you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Life is good until the famine comes. Life is going swimmingly away from the Father until destruction hits the land. And he is not exempted from what happens to everyone else just because he has a little money. He ends up broken and alone living in a pig pen. That is the nature of sin because sin will sell you one thing but end up giving you the opposite and we live in a world that is painting a picture for each and every one of us that if you'll live this way if you'll pursue your dreams if you'll pursue your desires you can have it all you can have the blessings of the father's house and your independence too you can live however you want and God's grace will cover it is anybody hearing me this morning Sin will paint you a picture. Is it all right if we preach against sin in 2020? Is it all right if we just name sin for what it is? Sin will tell you that you can have more fun by having adultery. But if you've ever lived on the other side of it, it's not fun anymore. Families are broken and destroyed. People wounded for life. Sin will paint you a picture and offer you one thing, but it'll give you another. And sometimes you get what you want, but you don't want what you get. And that's what sin does. Sin convinced this young man. His own will convinced him that he could have the blessings and everything else he wanted to. And this is the nature of sin. The prodigal learned some things along the way. I want to talk about it. 
He learned that there were limits on life without the Father. Because when the famine struck and he ends up poor and broken and he has nothing, what does he do? The Bible says that, that he, he goes and he joins himself to a man of the country who has some money, who's fared better than him, and he begs a job feeding pigs. He is an indentured servant. I'll just live just to get by. And look, this is what happens because there are limits on life when you leave the Father. When you separate from the source, the benefits will always run out. And you can drift from God for a while. You can slip away from God for a while and life is good. And life is grand. And you know what? I've heard preachers say this and I believe it's true. That there is almost an initial euphoria when people backslide. At first it feels good. Because the enemy's not fighting you anymore. And you're not having to deal with your own sins and look yourself in the face anymore. And for a while you can live on the blessings you received. And you can go only so far. But there are limits on life without God. And when you are your own source, you will always, somebody hear me in the Holy Ghost, you will always run out. You will always run dry. You will always end up hun hungry and empty and alone. And, and, and he learned that there are limits on life without the Father. He learned that not everything you serve will serve you. Did you hear what the scripture said? It said, he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. He wanted to eat the food that he was feeding the pigs. But no man would fill him. No man would give to him. No man would feed him. Here he is. Think about this. He's working for the master. And the master won't even give him food. Not everything that you serve serves you. And sometimes I watch and, and pastors watch and, and, and people watch as people give their life in slavish servitude to things that will never feed them. Things that will never fill them. Things that will never serve you. Is anybody hearing me that anything less than serving God will leave you empty? He learns some things. Because sin always destroys doesn't always happen immediately, but invariably it brings you to a place of brokenness. Sin, what does it do? It separates us from God. Look, the son left the father, not vice versa. The father never wanted him to go. The father, there's no indication the father ever approved. He just left. This one day he gathered his things. It's mine. I can do bad all by myself. And he goes into a far country. He leaves because sin separates you from God. And listen, a sinful state is a spending state. People who are living in sin are misspending their time, misspending opportunities, pursuing and buying into things that only take and never Never give. Sin always leaves you empty and wanting. He fain would have filled his, his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Sin will make you a slave. He set out to be free from restraint but found himself serving another. And sin will leave you with constant discontentment. Never able to be satisfied. Always looking for the next thing. Something more. And ultimately sin brings spiritual death. So far from God. That we can't seem to find our way home. 
The prodigal didn't know what he was signing up for when he left the father's house. His life was riddled with marks of mistakes and scars of sin. His life delivered to the pig pen of brokenness and poverty. So very far from home. So far that he might have wondered how he could ever get back home. Because he was just carrying so much. Anybody ever feel like you're there? You're just carrying so much. Every day in that pig pen, the memories of what he had done. The guilt, the shame, the condemnation. All of it piled up on him because he knew that he had sinned against heaven and his father. Listen, I, I, I came across a TED talk that a friend shared with me by a guy named Nathan Miller. Happens to be a good Christian guy. But he tells a story about his father who decided to hike the Appalachian Trail in his 70s. He, he, his father was a football coach who was getting close to retirement. He calls his son up one day and he says, Hey son, I decided to do something new at 70 years old. He said, What? What do you got in mind? He said, I'm planning on starting hiking. I've decided I'm going to section hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, if those of you who don't know, the Appalachian Trail runs from Georgia up to New York and is approximately 2,100 miles long. And what people will do is they will section hike it. They will go for a week at a time and hike the whole week so that they can uh, eventually finish the Appalachian Trail. And so he says that that's what he's going to do. He, he sets out and he gets his gear together. He goes down into Georgia on the first mile. He packs up and gathers his thing and starts his journey. And the thing is, is that on the Appalachian Trail, it is a, a grueling hike. It is an accomplishment to finish this hike. And so what he did not know was that 31 miles into the hike, there is a shot. And it's unique because... Um, it's the only place on the trail where you will go under a roof. There is a, a covering and you walk into this shop and they have a shop on both sides and it's called Mountain Crossings. And, and what they do there is unique because everyone who works there has made the journey the entire Appalachian Trail. Everyone who works there. And they have a unique service because when you get there, you've been walking for 31 miles. 31 miles carrying that pack. And when you get there, they have a service called the Pack Shakedown. And here's what they do. is They get, get your pack, these experienced guides, and they start digging through your pack and looking at how you've prepared for your journey. And 99% of the time, it's not that people don't have enough to make the journey. It's that they're carrying too much and so what they do is they start taking things out of the pack and saying you can't carry this if you're going to make this journey this is too heavy for you you will never finish if you carry this with you and so they go through their pack and they take everything out that you don't need to make the journey here's the thing here's the thing the point that Nathan Miller makes is if if that shop were on mile one, nobody would listen. Nobody would care. See, the reason it works is because it's on mile 31. Is they've carried the burden long enough to know that it's too heavy. 
they've carried the burden long enough to know that they'll never make the journey and they're in a place where now they can hear the truth now they can receive the truth now they can get their their pack right so that they can finish the journey that they've started and I, I can't help but see the prodigal son in this that the father probably tried to tell him son don't make these mistakes don't carry those burdens don't walk with those things in your life don't adopt that attitude that spirit that sin but he wouldn't listen until he got to the pig pen and he realized there's some things that I can't carry with me if I want to make it back home. There's some things that I've got to leave behind. And I've come to preach to someone today that it's not that you, you've been looking to add some things. Maybe if I just, if I'm more disciplined or, or, if, or maybe if I do this or if I do that, that I can make my journey. Or, or maybe if I learn some new skill or, or some new, maybe if I get in a Bible study and there's some piece of information information or something that I need to add but listen it's not what you need to add it's what you need to remove that'll help you make the journey and so the prodigal son the prodigal son came to himself he came to the guide shop the pack shakedown began to happen in his life because I believe in the pig pen some stuff from his past began to speak to him that you can go back home because even at home the servants live better than you do even at home the slaves live better than you do and you can go back home and live a better life as a servant even though you've messed up the Bible says he came to himself how do you come home first you've got to get to the place where you're willing to listen and some of you have wondered why your life hasn't changed and why your circumstance hasn't changed. It's because you haven't been carrying it long enough. But I pray today in the Holy Ghost that somebody will come to their self and realize that the way that you've been living will never get you home. He came to himself. And before you can come back home, you've got to come to yourself. You've got to come to your senses. You've got to start seeing sin as sin. We live in a world that pats everybody on the back that wants to do everything. But when the preacher preaches against sin, it's, it's not because we hate anybody. It's because we, we know that you'll never make the journey carrying that. You'll never make it home carrying that because sin separates you from God. Sin drives a wedge and makes you spiritually dead. see he had to come to himself and before you can head home the new you has to meet the old you he starts remembering and realizing what he has lost and he said there's bread in my father's house and he fully realizes in that moment where sin has brought him he said I I will go to my father and I'll say to him I have sinned you know why some people can't get turned around because they can't admit they can't repent before God and say, I have sinned. That's a big step. It's called repentance. He stops agreeing with his way and starts realizing, I've been doing it wrong. And he, he comes to himself and he says, I've sinned before heaven and before you. And then he makes a decision. He said, I will arise 
it's time to get back up and go to my father's house. And sometimes people, they will dwell in recognizing that they are a sinner. But a sinner who hasn't made a decision is still just a sinner. There are a lot of people that recognize that what they're doing is separating them from God, dragging them away from God. They're just not ready to make that choice yet. They're waiting on some better time. They are King Agrippa maybe at some more convenient season. I I will make the shift and I'll repent and I'll turn my life around. Maybe sometime, preacher, come again and preach it. You're right. I'm not ready. He said, no, I'm ready to get out of the mess that I'm in. I will arise and I will go to my father's house. Listen, if you're watching online, come back to church. Even if you failed, even if you messed your life up, even if you've sinned against God, even if you've disappointed people, there's still room at the house. I will arise and go to my father's house. Somebody, I'm praying you'll make a decision. Look, there's some of you sitting on pews, you still hadn't made a decision. You believe the truth, but you still hadn't decided. You still haven't made up your mind. You still haven't made your decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to serve the master. I'm going to live for God. Make the decision. If you want to come back home, you've got to get up out of the muck you're in and make a choice to make the change. My God, I feel the anointing. You see, sin brought you down, but sin can't hold you down. Sin may have brought you low, but it can't keep you in the pig pen. Sin may have messed up your life. It may have messed up your relationships. And you might not be able to undo the past. But honey, you can make a difference in your future. You just got to say, I will arise. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. And he heads towards the house. He arises out of the muck and the mire, and he heads back home. His aim was the house. Hear me. Life had humbled him, and sin had condemned him. And the prodigal knew that he could go back to the father's house. But he was convinced that he had no place in the father's heart. Listen to what he said. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired servants. This is the same guy who said, give me what is mine. I am your son. Give me what is mine. But now he's saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just, I just want to be in your house. There's bread in your house. And I may not be able to be a son, but maybe I can find something to fill this gnawing emptiness inside him. At least I can receive the benefits of your house. He aimed at servanthood rather than sonship. And this is what we do sometimes when we mess up. We say, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to Wednesday night. I'm going to go to the prayer room. I'm going to serve, serve, serve. I'm going to join every community group. I'm going to, I'll be there on work day. I'll donate supplies. I'll, I'll do whatever. I just want to deal with this emptiness. But hear me today. His aim was the house. But what the father really wanted was a reconnection of the heart. Sin had convinced him that he'd gone too far, done too much, too much history to have a better future. And he's willing to settle for the house because he thought he didn't deserve to win back the father's heart. But home is not home without relationships. Home is not home. I I drive by that empty structure at Mule Tree Drive in San Antonio and and Persimmon Hill in Bulverde and I drive by and the structure's still there. But the relationships are not 
And if I were to go back in and move back in today, it still wouldn't be home, would it? Because you can get back to the house. But the real question of what makes home home is can you get back to the heart of God? See, redemption isn't just about the house. It's not just about the church. It's about the Father's heart. And He redeems us not to His house. He redeems us into relationship. He redeems us not to be as servants, but to be His sons. He has given us the spirit of adoption. He says, you're not going to just live for me and serve my will. You're going to be my child. And he arose, listen, he arose and came to his father. But while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Before he could get back to the house, before he could get back home, here's where we begin to see the love of God. The father met him on the way. He was still a great way off. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all lined out. You don't have to understand the intricacies of all the theology. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a perfect model of a Christian lifestyle while you're still yet a great way off. Let me tell you something. You've got a heavenly father who sees you. The Bible says the father saw him. He sees you in your midst of your struggle. He sees you in your journey. He knows the decision that you've made. And listen, you don't have to do the whole journey by yourself. The father saw him while he was still a great way off and listen before you see him he sees you before you see him he sees you he sees you as you're struggling and questioning how do I make it back home and listen to what the Bible says the father ran to him and fell on him and kissed him the father runs to where he's at and falls on him. Musicians, please come. I'm almost done. And he falls on him. And the Bible says he embraces him. He hugs him. He comes back home. And he's not met with restriction. But he's met with redemption. He was aiming for the house. But the father was more interested in the heart. Because before he ever got back to the house, the father ran to him and met him right where he was at. It doesn't matter where you are when you choose a place of repentance. Now listen, God wants you to be a part of the church, but you can be driving on your car on 165 and say to God in your heart, God, I've sinned before heaven and against you, and I don't feel worthy anymore. I feel helpless and hopeless. And I need you in my life again. And he'll meet you even there. Because it's really about the redemption of relationship. The Bible says the father ran. And he fell on him and he hugged him. Brother Dub, I don't know where you are. Not in your normal spot. We're talking the other day. And he was telling me, it doesn't matter how old your kids get. No matter what they do, they're still your babies. They're still your kids. Brother Dub, I'm praying for Darren. I didn't forget that. I don't know where you're at. I know I saw you. I'm praying for Darren. Listen, the father fell on him and embraced him. He was met with a hug. 
because it was really not about the house. It was about the heart. There's another time that the same word in the Greek is used. The word fell. It means to fall with embrace. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter was sent by an angel to preach at Cornelius' house. This is a man who was the first Gentile that God would baptize with the Spirit. The Gentiles had long been separated from God, long time far from home. And God saw, he saw Cornelius, his prayers has come up as a memorial before God. He saw him trying to make the connection, to make the trip back to the Father's heart. And so God, by angelic forces, ordains Peter to go and preach at the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius gathers all of his family up, and they meet at the house. And the apostle Peter shows up, and he begins to preach. And while he's preaching, the Bible says this, that while Peter yet spake, Acts 10, 44, while Peter yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. In other words, before they were inducted in, before anything else had happened, before baptism could even happen, the Father saw them and He fell on them. Just the same word. To fall with embrace with the Holy Ghost. Now listen, maybe, maybe you think that I lost you, but Romans 5, 5 says this, that the love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Ghost which He has given us. And so listen, maybe you've been aiming for the house. Maybe you've been trying to get it back together, but I've come to tell you how to get back home. Listen, you got to come to yourself. you got to make a decision. But listen, when you do, God is not going to meet you with a list of requirements and a place in the servants' quarters. The Bible says that He has given unto us a promise. And this promise is for you and for your children and all those that are far off. God wants you back in the house. But more than that, He wants a connection of the heart. Jesus said this, I am with you, but I will be in you. God is not satisfied with empty form and fashion of religion, but He wants you to experience His embrace. His embrace. How does He do it? Peter and his family are sitting there. And the Spirit moves into the room, Sister Doris, and says, I've been missing you a long time. I've been missing my Gentile people for a long time. I've been missing you guys for a long time. I've been looking for the day that you would come back home. And the Spirit receives with embrace by baptizing them with the Spirit. How do they know? Because Peter and the other Jews said they were amazed because they spake in other tongues as they did at the beginning. And I've come to preach to someone a week ago. I was sitting in my prayer time and I began to pray, God, show me. Show me the importance of the Holy Ghost. God, show me the importance of the Holy Ghost show me its impact all over again and God began to deal with me about this scripture that what God really wants from you is not just to have you in his house but he wants to embrace you by his spirit I wonder if you would stand up here's what we're going to do today if you're here and you've messed up your life you've fallen into sin you've drifted from God we're going to come back home 
Some of you, as I was preaching, God began to reveal things to you. Now I'm going to ask, listen, I want to ask, nobody rush out. Sometimes we do this. We stand up and people rush out. There's nowhere better to be than right here, right now. Listen, God is looking for a reconnection of relationship with somebody here today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to lift our hands and we're going to say, God, would you forgive us of our sins? God, would you forgive us and redeem us? God, we've drifted far from you. Some of you hadn't prayed in months. You've been going to church, but you hadn't really prayed on your own in months. But God is saying, I want you to come back home. You've got to make a decision today. You've got to make a choice. I will arise. I'm not going to stay backslid. I'm not going to stay in the stuck state. I'm not going to live in the muck and the mire. I don't want to be hungry anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm turning my life around. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. That's it. Just tell him right now, God, I'm coming back to you. God, I'm not staying gone. I'm coming home. And come on, as you begin to pray, I believe this spirit is going to begin to fall in this room. Somebody needs a reconnection and a redemption of relationship that comes through the personal experience of the Holy Ghost. God wants to give you a hug. He wants to embrace you today as you pray and lift your hands. If you feel your tongue or your lips begin to tremble, just let it come out. Come on, just let it out. Right now in this room, the Holy Ghost is falling right now. Come on, somebody say, Lord, I'm coming back. Come on, God loves you. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. You can always come back home. Come back home. Come on, that's it right there where you are. Just lift your hands to the heaven. Throw your head back and receive what God has for you in this place. Receive what God is doing in this place. Come on, lay hands on your family. Come on, if you got your family right there, lay hands on your family. Jesus, we want relationship. We want a relationship with you. God, forgive us. Wash us. Redeem us. Restore us in the relationship. God, restore us in the relationship. Come on, let's say worship Him. Come on, let's say push a little deeper. Come on, if you sinned against heaven and against God, that's all right. He'll forgive you. That's what the cross is for. Jesus. God, I pray right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. I wonder if you'd close your eyes across this building right now. Can we pray a corporate prayer of repentance? God, there are people in this room that are so hungry, God. They're so empty. And they feel so far, God. I pray right now. Lord, for each and every one of us that you would forgive our sin. God, that you would forgive our sin, God. God, we've left you behind in so many ways and so many times, God. You've left our consciousness. You've left our decision-making process, God. God, and we've walked far from you, God. We've pursued other things. God, we've lived according to our will and our plans and our desires. 
But today, God, we're coming back home. Today, God, we're making the change. Today, God, we're making the shift. And we're believing in the promise that you will give us your spirit, God. We're standing on the promise that you will baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That you will meet us with embrace. That you will meet us here in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you've repented, I wonder if you just wave your hand in the air and say, Lord, I receive God. I receive God. I receive God. God, I'm receiving it today. I'm receiving it today, God. I receive your spirit today, God. I receive your spirit today. Listen. This is what the Lord wants to say of you. What happened when he hugged his son? He turned to the servants and he said this. He said, go kill the fatted calf. Get the best robe and bring the signet ring of the authority of our family and put it on his finger. For thus, my son was dead but now he's alive again. My son was lost but now he's found again. Some of you have thought God will never receive you back but heaven rejoices over the one that's lost when he's found. Come on, right now, can we just thank the Lord as they sing? Can we just close this service with a few moments of worship and say, Lord, I want my heart to be your home, God. I want my heart to be your home, God. I want to come back to you. I'm coming.